absolutely true, isn't it? How often we overuse words, how often we blow things up. As, uh, that guy, he, that's Tim Hawkins. He's hilarious. He's going to be at Calvary of Albuquerque on May 15th. I would encourage you to go uh, anytime he's been in town. We've had a great time going to watch him. But, um, you know, he, the great things about comedians is they, they just point out the obvious, and then we get to laugh at it. We get to laugh at how much we do overuse words. Uh, think of some other words that we overuse. I mean, that's unbelievable. I, I, I am waiting for somebody to say that so I can do the eagle thing. And the little, you know, the little, yeah. You think about gross. We use that word a ton, don't we? Oh, that's so gross. Amazing, the best, awesome. We, we, we use them so much we forget what they actually mean. And there's a word we're going to look at today. And as I saw that video, I went, you know what? That fits perfectly with what we're going to talk about today. Because today, we're going to be in John chapter 13. And we're going to look at love. We're going to look at love. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd love for you to open up to John 13, because the word love gets so very overused, does it not? I mean, when you think about the word love, you can use the word love to describe your feeling for pizza just like you can for your spouse. Uh, there's something wrong there, don't you think? We have a tendency to, to overuse these kind of words. And the question is, is do we really know what love is? Do we really know it? Because when you look, so many people have so many different definitions. And we use it in all different sorts of ways. And when you think about it, I'm not sure if you get on Amazon or not. Um, I, I like to get on Amazon. I have Amazon Prime, and, and I, I get books from it here and there and, and uh, other no- nonsense-type things that Amazon also provides. But the, uh, the thing is, that I got on Amazon, and I said, you know, I wonder what Amazon has to say about love. So I typed in love. You know how many book titles there are with the word love in them? 190,000. 190,000. My guess is is that every one of those books tells us something different about love as well, about a different definition. It's a popular word in our society. People are desperately seeking true love. They're desperately seeking it, and they're looking all over for it, and they can't seem to find it. So we throw in these little words for love. We, we use it in these situations like I love my pizza or I love my car. And at the same time, we're saying I love my kids and I love my spouse. And that, that doesn't even compute in it all. The Bible actually has a lot to say about love. As a matter of fact, from Genesis to Revelation, the word love is used over 500 times. Over 500 times. And as we get into our, our scripture today, it still begs the question is, is what is love? What is love? And I know there's some of you in this room that just now, had this little thought in your head, and you bobbed your head just a little bit because you watched a little too much Saturday Night Live, and you thought, Night at the Roxbury. I understand that because Christy did it to me while I was practicing my message to her yesterday. She's like, what is love? And I'm like, no, don't do that. Don't do that because isn't that the truth, though? How many songs have love in them? And they ask that same question, what is love? We're trying to figure out what love is, another 80s song. But we're, we have so much of that in our minds, we forget what it really is. We forget what it really is, and it's an important question for us to answer today because as we're in John chapter 13 today, Jesus talks about love. As a matter of fact, John chapter 13, last week we had the Lord's Supper. We were sitting here. The table was here, and and, and Judas had betrayed him. And in John chapter 13, it's the only one of the four Gospels that takes that point and takes about four chapters of a teaching that Jesus gave. Everybody else goes from the, the Last Supper to the garden to the arrest. John goes through a teaching thing. And that teaching thing, during that that last 24 hours of his life, John uses the word love 
45 times. He describes Jesus' teaching. He, he records Jesus' teaching. And it talks about love 45 times. So if you have your Bibles open to John chapter 13, we're going to be starting in verse 25. And that's going to go back just a little bit back to Judas before he's actually betrayed. Still kind of during the supper. And we'll see what happens here. So John chapter 13, starting in verse 25. It says, So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Who is it? Who is the one that's going to betray you? Jesus answered, it is he to whom I will give the morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when I have dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him to go buy something for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. I just paused there for a second, because I can imagine as he closed the door behind him, that Jesus probably let out a, maybe a sigh of relief, maybe a, a, a final just breath of, this is the last step. This is the last piece of that puzzle to take us to that next step of leading me to the cross. Judas' betrayal. And that's why he picks up here in verse 31. He starts teaching the disciples about love. Verse 31, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. And that's a lot of times he uses the word glorify because what Christ is doing here and he's teaching to his disciples is that it is not about him. Though he's going to the cross, though it is a tragedy, though death will happen, it is not just a tragedy, it is a triumph. He is going to be lifted up. He is going to go on and he's going to conquer death. And that is an amazing thing to think about. He's going to to, to be on that cross and everybody around is going to think, oh, he's been defeated. Oh, he's been dishonored. He's going to be, and he's saying, no, no, I am glorifying God in what I am doing. What a great thing to, to apply even to our own lives in that. Because so often, so often we forget that what God has given us to do isn't to glorify ourselves, but it's to glorify him. It's to lift him up in it all. And Jesus explains that, you know, it, it's here. Our job is here. We have it all. As a matter of fact, in verse 33, he says this. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. You can imagine that, that his, his followers were thinking, okay, if this is it, we want to go with you. We want to be with you, Lord. There's, there's times that I've dealt with that with people saying at the loss of a loved one or anything along those lines. Well, I just want to go with them. I don't want to be here. The pain here is too much, whatever it might be. And we lay that out and we say, well, you know, th that's not it. Because if you're not dead, you're not done. God has a purpose for you. He's laying that out to the disciples saying, you know what? You have a purpose here. You need to stay here. That's why you can't come with me. And what is their purpose? Well, we know it. They don't know it yet, but we know it because we've read the history. We've seen what takes place when they go out after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after meeting back together with Jesus. We see what happens. And as a matter of fact, this is what he calls them to do, starting in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. 
That's a, that's a powerful verse, because I, I get asked questions a lot of times. You know, as a, as a Christian, what should I do? As a follower of Christ, what should I do? You know, there, there's different churches that say, well, these are the clothes that you have to wear if you want to be a follower of Christ. This is the music, or this is the music you can't listen to or can listen to. You know, whatever one it might be. If you have your hair cut in a certain way, or whatever, we have this thing that says, this is what a Christian is supposed to be. But when I read the scriptures, what I see is different than that. What I see is different than that. You know, I get all kinds of questions. We talked about it with communion last week. The reason why we're going to talk about why Easter. Why does Easter happen to be the Sunday that just gets the most packed? Why? Why do we come and celebrate that day? What is it about it? I even got asked a question this week by somebody that said, "Um, hey, I'm just curious. I got a tax return. Am I supposed to tithe on my tax return? Okay. You know, uh, it's a hard issue. That's really what it boils down to. It is a, a hard issue. Everything that we do is a hard issue. Are we doing it to glorify ourselves? Do we wear this to say, look at me, uh, I am a Christian? Or do we say, I wear this because I want to glorify God? Do we say, I don't eat this or whatever it might be because I am a Christian? Or do you say it because I do it because I want to glorify God? Do I give on my tax return because I want to glorify God? Or I want people to say, oh, look at me and look what I did. You know, the, it's a heart issue. And when it comes right down to it, we can look back at these verses again, and that's what it is. It's a heart issue. Look at it as a matter of fact. Let's look at it again. Starting in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So the question is, how will people know, according to these two verses, that we are Jesus' disciples? Is it by what we wear? Is it by what we sing? Is it by how we sing? What is it? It's how we love. But that, again, leads back to the question we had originally. What is love? Because as we look at that and say, what is love? Isn't it crazy that, that Christ has called his church, his followers, to be identified by something that no other group at that point in time, and really no other group since then, has been known for, love? I mean, you can get in a group of like-minded people, and those people can be, you know, identified by whatever it might be. It could be skin color. It could be the way they dress. It could be by what they do. It could be the sports fan that they choose, however it might be. But those are all different characteristics that are great for distinguishing people if you want to do that. However... None of them are as unique as Christ's call to love. That his church should stand out and love. Because really, when we love, skin color doesn't matter. Your language doesn't matter. Your native language, that is. Um, There is no rules about diet or any of those kind of things. It's about how we love. It's about how we love. And once again, it brings us back to the question, what is love? And not only what, but how. How do we do it? What does it look like when we are doing it? Well, let's go to verse 34. We're going to kind of break it down here for a second. As we go back to verse 34, this is what it says. A new commandment I give you. 
A new commandment I give you. See, this is something fresh, something that's never been experienced before. And most people look at it and say, okay, well, if this is the last 24 hours of Jesus' life, there's been times along the way that he's taught about love. As a matter of fact, Leviticus teaches about love, that we need to love our neighbor as ourselves. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. So how can this be a new commandment? Well, the reason why it's called a new commandment is this. See, the Pharisees had taken that Levitical law about loving your neighbor as yourself, and they had decided to define who your neighbor is. So that way, by law, they could hate people if they wanted to, as long as it wasn't their neighbor. I know that sounds crazy, but we justify things too, don't we? We can kind of tweak and twist whatever we want, so that way we can say, well, I'm doing it within these parameters. It's okay. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's not about that. It's about loving one another. It's about loving one another as we see it. We see it play out. Who is one another? We are. The church is one another. The body of Christ is one another. He's telling the disciples to love each other. And some people might say, well, wait a second. Aren't we supposed to to love the, the world and go out into the world? Absolutely. Absolutely, that's what we're supposed to do. But where does it start at? A love for each other. Because if we're not loving in here, how can we possibly go out there and show love to anybody? If we're not loving the people that we are like, how can we go out and love the people that we're not like? How, how do we reach out? How do we make that happen? It all starts right here, and that's what he's saying. The thing is, is that even within the church, you've probably been around the church long enough to understand that it's not always love in here. Not every church is happy when they walk in on Sunday morning. Not every family's happy. And there might be some of you that drove up this morning saying, shut up and you're going to smile when we get in there. Okay, that, that, was your, that was the way that you did it. Because it's been more than one time that we've had that discussion. Before we open the doors to the van, everybody put your smiles on. Now. You know, that, that's, the, that's, the, that's the way we do it. Because we want to appear to the outside world. We got it all together, but on the inside there's not. So that's why Jesus is saying we have to love one another. But how do we do it? How do we do it? What's Jesus say next? Just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you, what does that mean? Well, Jesus, literally on his way to the cross, within the next 24 hours, he's going to be hanging from a cross. He knows what's coming. Nobody else quite does, but he knows what's coming. And he says, I want you to love just as I have loved you. Just an hour before, just the beginning of John chapter 13, Jesus shows a humble love by wrapping a towel around his waist and taking a basin and washing the feet of his disciples. Now, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Mary anointing the feet and how gross feet really are. Even today, but then with open-toed sandals and dirty roads and animals dropping their stuff on dirty roads at the same time, washing feet was not a place that the king of kings and lord of lords should have been at, but he put himself there. Why? Because he loved us. And you really break down his life and to love just as Jesus loved. What was it that he did? I mean, we've been going through the chronological gospel since September of 2013. And as we have walked through that, what have you seen? You've seen God put on flesh to walk on this earth, to sleep with no bed, to to teach, to live for who? Not for him, but for us. So that we could have a relationship with God. He went to a cross. He hung on that cross. He was despised. He was dejected. He was made fun of. He was buried in a borrowed tomb, and then he rose again. Why? For us. That is love. So what does it mean for us to say that Jesus loved us in that way? 
I mean, there's, there's so many different ways. What are we supposed to do? The first thing I see is in Romans 5, 8, where it says Jesus loved us while we are still sinners, that we're far from him. So Jesus' love is unconditional. Our love should be unconditional. Ephesians 4.32 says, forgive one another as Christ forgave you. And as it says that, that tells me my love should be forgiving to one another. Romans 8.38.39 says, nothing's going to separate me from the love of Christ Jesus, which means it's eternal. That should be my love for another. But the one I really want to focus on is the sacrificial serving love that Jesus, Jesus demonstrates throughout his entire life, but especially in these last 24 hours. It's an act of the will. It's a decision. It's a commitment that he's making. And as he makes this commitment, it's not about his needs. It's about our needs. And that's the way we should love. It's not about my needs in love. It's about others' needs. It's about serving. It's about God's will and lifting God up. I read this in a book this week, and it says, basically, Jesus is saying this. He says, love as I have loved you. I left the splendors and comforts of heaven because I loved you. I called you to be mine, knowing full well your faults. I taught you, even when you were stubborn and close-minded. I corrected when you stepped out of line. I washed your feet on the way to my death. When you denied me and betrayed me, I loved you with an everlasting love. All this was for you and your highest good. My interest was not in myself, but in you. That's what we're called to do. As a matter of fact, we're not just called to do it. We are commanded to do it we're commanded to do it because without specifically commanding his disciples to love one another do you think they would have i don't think so i don't think the church would be what it is today if he had not commanded his disciples to love one another because it seems it's an easy thing to say but a difficult thing to do it's an easy thing to say but a difficult thing to do we like to talk about it we just don't like to demonstrate it we're not like that and when it comes to it jesus wants us to love with this supernatural kind of love. And you know, as I, as I really look, I, I see the next verse. It says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. See where it says all people will know? All people will know. Jesus is giving the world the right to examine our Christianity. To judge us. He's given the world the right to do that. When they call us hypocrites, why is it they call us that? Because we hate each other in here and act fake out there? Absolutely. That's what it is. He's given us the right to do it. And why does he give us the right to do it or give them the right to do it? Because I think he knew that if we demonstrated this crazy love for each other, this radical mind-blowing love for each other in here, people on the outside be like, how do they do that? Why do they do that? Because guess what? Naturally, inside, I am selfish. Not only am I selfish, but I am competitive. And when I am competitive, I want to win. And you know what happens when I want to win? You lose. And then when that happens, that whole you lose thing, I will do anything in my power to make sure that you lose. I will hurt you. I will fight dirty. I will do it. And guess what? You do the same thing. We're the same. But if Jesus had not given them the command to love, that's what the church would look like. And people would go, you know what? I really don't want to be a part of that church. That doesn't look very fun. That doesn't look like something I could be invited to because I can fight and have all kinds of issues outside. I don't need to be invited into your house to do that. Let's just put it this way. How many of you have invited somebody over 
And in the process of inviting somebody over, it's only minutes from them showing up at your door. And as you're getting ready to show up at your door, you have this huge family blowout. And in the process of that huge family blowout, the people knock at the door and you're like, shoot! Hey, how you doing? And at the table, it's awkward. Everybody's just sitting there. All you hear is, that's it. That's all you hear. Because there's that weird awkwardness in the people that just walked in. Maybe you've been on that side as well, and you're like, I can't wait to leave. You think it's like that in the church as well? When there's church fighting going on, when there's people not loving each other, why would somebody on the outside want to hang out with a family that's fighting all the time? And that's what Jesus is trying to lay out here for us. Because when we love, people are going to see something and they're going to say, man, they're not selfish. Why are they not selfish? Why are they putting others' needs before themselves? Why is that happening? And they'll say, I want to be a part of that because I don't have that in any other group that I'm a part of. No other group loves like that. And Jesus made it unique in that area. The thing is, the thing is, there's an if. We have a choice to love or not to love. And you see the results, though, if you do, though. Because if you look at the book of Acts, you take the selfish disciples. I mean, we know they were selfish while they were with Jesus. They recorded themselves being selfish, saying, who's the greatest one? Who's going to be the one that gets to sit at his right hand? Who's this? You know, they were only thinking about themselves. So we saw the selfishness right there in front of them. And as we see the selfishness right there in front of them, we have to understand there's an if. You can choose to serve self or you can choose to serve God. In the book of Acts, when we see Jesus come back and talk to them. And then he goes up into heaven. And the process of going back into heaven, the Holy Spirit comes down upon them and they go out. And they go out and they change the community and they speak the words of God. And in the process of speaking the words of God, they're also meeting together and they're in community together and they're connecting together. And you know what else they're doing? They're selling their stuff for the needs of other people. They're making sure all of their people are taken care of. That is love. That is what he's saying. You don't worry about yourself. You worry about the needs of others. That is unheard of in Roman times and even still today. And it changed the community because they saw it from the outside. The church was just forming and you see the way it works. And it still works today because we live in a broken world. And if the community could just see a radical, faithful, genuine love shared among God's people, man, how much would that affect them how much would that change them so what can we do what can we do well we need to take love and take it from being a noun to a verb we need to put it into action as a matter of fact throughout the new testament paul john peter the author of hebrews they're they're all encouraging the churches to love one another as a matter of fact Open book, uh, your Bible to the book of uh, Romans. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 9. Uh, the, the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans are, are explaining the gospel, explaining why we need the gospel. And in, in chapter 12, a, a shift takes place, and it talks about the community that, that, that takes that gospel out and how we do it, how we make an impact. And this is what he says to the Christian brothers and sisters. Verse 9, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. When was the last time that somebody tried to outdo you in showing honor to somebody else? Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. 
Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with, uh, with one another. Do not be haughty. Don't let your pride get in the way, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Man, what if we just took those eight verses and applied them to every church? How would this world change? Hebrews 13, 1, another reminder. Just let your brotherly love continue. Let your brotherly love continue. You know, probably one of the most famous chapters in all of the Bible is 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13, one of the, fa- the reasons why it's most famous, because even people outside the church hear it. Because anytime you go to a wedding, that seems to be the wedding chapter. I actually try now to avoid it, specifically because it gets overused at weddings. And it's not actually a wedding scripture. That love they're talking about is actually supposed to be love between the churches, between people within the church. Now, obviously, it works out for that for, for Christians, but even non-Christians, when it's being read, it, it's not possible. When you read the verses that are there, it's not possible to do without understanding the sacrificial love of Jesus. Paul's actually writing to these, these churches, these people within the church that are fighting about who has better gifts, who has better ability to, to prophesy, who has better ability to speak in tongues, and who has this, and they're forming their own camps, and they're arguing about it. And that's the reason why he writes this in, in, in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, if I speak in tongues, of men or angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all the mysteries and all the knowledge and have all the faith, as so much to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm what? Nothing. If I give away all I have, and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. I gain nothing. I am nothing. We have this tendency to compete, but when we compete and we leave love out, it doesn't matter how good we are at anything. Without love, we are nothing. We're valueless to Christ. He can't use us in that way. Instead of fighting to win, we need to understand we are in this together. And Paul goes on to describe from there what love is. And you probably know what it is in verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. When was the last time you could say that that was us? Because even when we love, don't we have a tendency to be self-seeking in that love, that we love so we can get something in return? But the love that we have is supposed to be the love like Christ. Patient, kind, not self-seeking, not rude. It's not about us. As a matter of fact, I don't think we could do it without the example of Christ. I don't think we could live that way without the example of Christ. Look at these verses here, 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11. Above all, Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As a good steward of God's very grace, whoever speaks, as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength of God's supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. You see that? In order that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to To him belong the glory and the dominion and the power forever and ever. Not to me. I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing it for God. And anytime I start to soak it in and try and take it in myself, guess what? That is me being selfish selfish and not selfless. And not lifting him up. Instead, trying to lift myself up. It's not about us. 1 John 4, 19 actually tells us we love because he first loved us. We can't do it on our own. You, you have to think about the culture that, 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 uh, that Jesus walked into. 
I mean, we think our culture is kind of messed up. But you think about the culture of the Romans that he walked into. As he walked into that culture and he sat there with those people that were completely and totally pagan, the best way to put it. When they'd have a baby, if they didn't want it, you know what they would do with it? They would throw it out the front door and let the dogs, the wild pack dogs, get it. We think that's sick. But guess what? Just watched a movie last week, The Dropbox, a documentary about a pastor in in South Korea that has a Dropbox because there's people that were just abandoning babies on the side of the road, and it happens all over in the third world countries. And I look at that pastor, that Pastor Lee, and I say, man, that is amazing. I wish I could be like that. I wish I could do something like that. I wish I, I had the, the ability. The problem is, is how do you not take the credit for it? The whole time he's given credit and glory to God. And everything is taking place and all that takes place. And, and that's, that's the, the culture that Jesus stepped into, though. And the reason why it's changed and the reason why we think it's sick is because he stepped in and had the church start loving and setting up a new example of what's going on. And that everything that God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. As a matter of fact, like I said, it says we love because he first loved us. But in 1 John 4, 7 through 11, which leads up to that verse, it says this. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves him has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. Let me read that again for you just a second. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. That's a punch in the gut. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We show that love in a sacrificial, serving way. It's an action verb not just a noun. It's not to glorify us, but to glorify him. I didn't mention it up front, but on Palm Sunday, we're changing things up two weeks from today. On Saturday night, we're going to have a night of worship. We're going to come in. We're just going to praise God. We're going to sing. We're going to have a short time of testimony, some different things. And then on Sunday morning, we're going to meet here at 945, and we're going to go out. We're going to have a short devotional, and we're going to go out. We're going to go into the neighborhoods. We're going to go to a nursing home. We're going to go help out some of your elderly neighbors that that are having trouble getting their yards clean and things like that. We're going to go out and we're going to pray through neighborhoods for Easter. We're going to go out because it's not about us. We emphasize going to church instead of going from the church. We emphasize coming and gathering here versus going and spreading out. I'm not sure if you've ever heard this before, but Francis Chan used a quote, and I, I sent it out this week, but he said, Christians are like manure. They're great when they're spread out and they help everything grow. But when they're in a big pile and stuck all together, they stink. It's the truth. We go out. And that's what we're going to do on, on, on uh, Palm Sunday. And I, I hope that you can be a part of it. If you have any areas that you know, maybe somebody in your neighborhood that needs help and just needs to be shown the love of Christ, whatever it might be, if you have something, please let me know. Uh, Kevin and, and Stephen, who are heading everything up, uh, they were here last night, so just talk to me and I'll make sure to get it onto them or, or give you their information so you can contact them. But that's what it is. It's about going. It's about loving here and then taking it out. So that's the question. We've been given a command, but what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with it? I'm so thankful that, Ken, that you read uh, Revelation 5 for this morning because it says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. 
to receive the power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. We give him the glory because he died for us, because because he was slain for us, that we could have a relationship with God. It's not about us. It's all about him. It's all about glorifying him, and that's what we do as we go. So let's pray together. Father, we are so thankful for who you are. I'm thankful for your son, Jesus, and the example that he set for us and the, the life that we get to live because of it. God, I, I come to you right now, just on a personal level, having selfishness overwhelm me, to think about myself way too often, to think about winning, to think about being the best, to think about all the things that would lift me above you. God, I apologize for that. My guess is there's some other people in this room that are the same way. That I'm not alone. That it's so easy to get into a competition, so easy to, to worry about me and not worry about you. Worry about my plans and not worry about your will. God, you've laid it out for us, and I, I just pray even right now, that you're working in hearts and minds as this command has come down, not, not a suggestion, but a command to love one another. And who knows, maybe there's some infighting that was taking place in a family on the way here. God, I pray that you're working through that already. I pray that you're working on hearts because as we love one another in here, people will see you, and that is the most important thing. Not see us, not see Paragon Church, not see that we're different than any other church or we're competing against other churches because all those other churches, we're working together for your glory. And that we want to lift you up and see you change our community to follow you. God, we are so grateful for who you are. Thankful for the change that you're making in our lives because that's where it's coming from. You're changing from a me-focused to a you-focused person right now. Gotta pray that I get out of your way so you can do what you gotta do. Pray it in your name. Amen. We don't do a whole lot of altar calls. It's not our our general thing where we say, hey, why don't you guys come down and We'll do something here at the, at the altar. But today, I, I feel maybe a little bit different. It's just a stage. It's just carpeting. It's nothing holy or spectacular. But it is a time of public confession to say, you know what? I, I'm working on my heart and not being selfish and allowing God to take over so I can be selfless. And I'll be down here to pray with you if you want me to, but maybe it's just a time that you get down on your face before God and say, God, it's, it's yours. It's, it's not mine. It's, it's all about you, not about me. Because so often we can, we can get wrapped up in the competition aspect of it all, even among other Christians, even among other people that, that we know. We say, oh, it's, it's not the way it should be. But God's got a plan. He's got it all worked out. So I want to challenge you that if you don't want to come down here, I understand. But at least in your seat. I pray you have a conversation with God during this song about where your heart is really at.